Radio Level 5 is an artist-run podcast from Level 5, a cooperative studio floor in the center of Brussels. In our podcasts, we invite artists and other people to discuss which interests inspire their practice and how they work. Sometimes we also play sound and text pieces. Today, Perry McKenzie talks with Emile Rubino. They discuss McKenzie's essay, The Stakes Are a Thick Vision, Images of Women Gambling in Elliot and the Latour, which was published in the first issue of Le Chauffage, edited, amongst other people, by Emile Rubino. Hope you enjoy. I'm going to read from the text I wrote for Le Chauffage. Um, the stakes are a thick vision, images of women gambling in Elliot and de la Tour. So this text is really an essay. Um, in the text, I write about two paintings by Georges de la Tour. The first one is um, The Cheat with the Ace of Clubs. This is from 1630. The second one is The Dice Players from 1650. Both these paintings feature women gambling, either playing cards or playing dice. And you can tell they're gambling because there's often a little pile of coins on the table. And I also, in this essay, I write about the first scene of a novel by George Eliot. Um, the novel is Daniel Deronda, and in the first scene there is this really striking um, description of a woman gambling, the main character, and she is watched by a male protagonist. So in the text I join together these three images, the literary image and the two painterly images, and I um, think about them in terms of uh, the gaze inside them, so where the woman is looking, what her gaze is like, and then also how we as the viewer or as the male, male subject looking at the gambler, the ostensibly male subject, how we are being trained to look. So the essay is really about how the figures are being framed, how we are being told to look at them. And I'm going to read from the end of the text, more or less towards the end, which has a more open quality. It's a moment where I really begin, it's really my voice as a painter. Um, it's, I really begin to talk about uh, the theory that I've been building throughout the essay, which is painting from the middle. And at this point, I've, I've talked about all the, both paintings and the novel, and I'm talking about the materiality of the paintings by Georges de Latour. In particular, I'm talking about the ownership of a hand in one of his paintings, a hand which rolls a set of dice. And my theory is that we can't tell who owns this hand, whether it's the female gambler or one of the male players in the dice game. So I found this anonymous hand quite exciting um, from the perspective of someone looking at this, thinking about who is in charge. I'm going to begin my reading and then um, I'll talk with Emil afterwards. This essay isn't populated by gamblers, but by their depictions. They are introduced to us in the thick of it, where framing comes first. Their representation is warped, clouded, sharpened by the eye of the artist-author, who portrays them as exhilarated, inscrutable, unselfconscious. 
Tugged along by a framing desire and moral vision, we are thrust headlong into a subjective existential crisis of the meaning of a woman gambling. We try to read these dazzling faces in the vortex of the game. With pale lips and sidelong glances, they control powerful hands that may or may not belong to them. What do fingers mean? What do eyeballs mean? The roll of the dice, the deliberation of a card, and the spinning of a roulette wheel by female hands thickens and flexes into a radical gesture. In these depictions by Elliot and de la Tour, we meet these female gamblers in medias res. Whilst cards and jewels exchange hands, we are implicated as witnesses. Glances perform an interplay of ignorance and knowledge between the parties at play and between the gamblers and the viewer. Entering the scene, we encounter the female gambler as both a figure, who she is, and as a depiction, how we see her. Why is the image of a woman gambling so destabilizing? Because the figure and the depiction are met at a crossroads. What is painting in medias res? Getting to the middle of a painting requires that the painter sees herself as a gambler. With gambling, winning is important. But when a pre-modern woman chooses to gamble, she chooses to lose as much as win. It's about ownership of the stakes more than about their speculative success. Beginning in the middle of painting requires skills of critique. We look at our scene and ask ourselves how it became that way. What were the material conditions that gave rise to this action? How heavy are the jewels? What muscles animate this hand? The stakes emerge. We have seen that stakes, as an economic carrier of value, can transform. They are the ghost in the machine. The reappearing jewels that were mine and suddenly became yours, and somehow they are mine again. Supernaturally, we can pawn them and we can keep them too. In a feminist sense, acknowledging the stakes at play means recognizing that stakes are material and that bodies are inevitably implicated, as bodies of pre-modern women were implicated in the gamble of marriage and the poison of dowry. Games may end, but the gambling continues. Within the realm of the painted plane, decisions are made and consequences ensue an intersubjective game where someone or something may look back and call your bluff. With gambling, there are no innocent spectators. A viewer needs to find her role in the game and understand its erotic and ethical complications. The painting is a scene of causality and intervention which we can enter and transform ourselves. We are not looking at the end of the artist's labours. We are peering into the middle of them. Such an active way of looking requires empathy, inquiry, sensuality. In the middle of the painting, I find myself in a dark wood. 
lost in the thick, dappled with shadow and caressed with light, tracing brushstrokes back. Where is the middle of the painting? We can find it in the anonymity of the rolling hand in the dice players. As the eye jumps from one potential agent to another, looking for causality and origin and never finding it, the painting ruptures. The hand. Is it hers? Is it his? Is it its? In the middle of a leap of an eye lies the unresolvable material truth. Painting from the middle involves welcoming inscrutability for what it is. A viewer who starts to enjoy the limitations of her searching eye is in the middle of the work. This retreat of the eye is a middle focus. Scrutiny relaxes. Maybe it becomes a gaze of longing, a searching for bodily warmth. Rather than resolve the incongruities of a turbulent work, this viewer enters into them. The hand is everyone's and no one's. And we're in your studio right now. Um, so we're surrounded by your work, which like makes a lot of sense for this essay because although it's not an essay about your work, it's definitely informed by your work. And the excerpt that you just read right now is perhaps the excerpt in the essay that speaks the most to like your voice as a painter, um, especially with that notion that you bring in of like what it means to like paint from the metal, um, what that could mean. Um, so I guess maybe like should we yeah should we start there actually like start in the middle start start in the middle I guess it's like the most logical thing to do here. It's like al it's always the most logical place to start. Was that something that like you had thought about before writing the essay, or did it come out of the writing? I guess is one of the questions I had. That's a really good question. Um, I I think it probably came out of the writing. I would say that as a painter, I've always been interested in the struggle of painting. Mm -hmm. Um, like, as even what I would say, I would say the struggle. <laughs> like, sometimes I look at a painting and I'm like, where is the struggle? Right. Like, the, the way I work, I like, I, I more or less set myself a problem in painting and then try to solve it in the painting, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and I, I find that really fascinating. And I think what's interesting writing this text is that I'm both a talking about making paintings, but also looking at them. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think the middle of painting is not even just about making painting, but also about how we look at how we read paintings. Right. Like one of the things I've realized over the years is that the more I'm invested in painting, the more I know how to read them when I go to a museum mm -hmm. or a gallery. And like how it's a whole language and a whole world that tells you other things. Right. So that's one thing. Um, but I really, I think this idea of the struggle of like being lost in the middle of it, of not knowing where it's going. I mean, this sounds, it's all quite pat as well. Like No, but it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, when I first like encountered that notion in your text, it really spoke to me because um, as someone who makes uh, pictures, but uh, through photography and not through painting, um, one of the explanation when people ask me like why photography and not painting because like so much of my work is also inspired by painting 
I often talk about how for me like the the struggle of painting like where do you begin like where do you put the first touch and when do you know where to stop is kind of the existential one of the most existential problems of painting right it's like mm. it's what makes uh, unfinished Cezanne painting so fascinating because he was really painting with this increments of touch and totally. so you kind of see the picture you know stopped in the middle in some cases yeah um, yeah but for me that struggle that existential struggle of picture making in painting is something that gives me so m i find it fascinating but it gives me so much anxiety that i always mm -hmm. said photography i like because it's a bit like a, a punk rock song it mm -hmm. skips the intro and skips the outro and it keeps the two minutes in the middle ha! and uh you know i was always like you you know there is a certain like the speed of the shutter or whatnot or i mean there's endless discussions around that too but there's a way in which it kind of takes a part of that struggle out of the equation and and so it really yeah for that reason it really spoke to me this notion of starting in the middle yep or totally yeah because uh, i mean actually the the technical term i use in the essay which is is, is in medias res which is a literary theory theory phrase which means in the middle beginning in the middle or like in the midst of things, right. which is very beautiful. Right. But like, I mean, it's, it's actually an incredibly obvious term to use because it's about entering a scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like in any like narrative pictorial tradition, we're entering a scene. We're entering a scene and you're also entering, it's so much about if the picture delivers like indications about its own making mm -hmm. in a way it is a bit like you're walking in into like you know the game of cards or the game of roulette or whatever mm -hmm. gambling's happening where you see the kind of interactions going on between whoever made the picture and you know all the ghosts that were in their studios like to use the sort of Philip Guston metaphor yeah right? yeah it's like so you you literally it gives you m more of an opportunity to walk in on that i guess right absolutely yeah like you're walking into a scene of a scene of the crime right? yeah <laughs> um i mean i guess what we're talking about is like both narrative structure like the image mm -hmm. and then the materiality right right and that being revealed to you and i guess especially in contemporary painting um people are re people really talk about what painting reviews to, reveals to you of itself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the ground of painting how much ground is visible mm -hmm. um how much kind of deconstructs itself mm -hmm. i suppose um and yeah i mean it's difficult looking at these very highly polished letter paintings yeah right because they <laughs> are they are kind of like not exactly what we're describing they're in terms not. of painting materially they're they're quite academic mm. like they're not um, like I was just telling you earlier before we started recording how in terms of materiality what you talk about in the text or what it evokes to me was closer to something I remember reading I think um, about the work of Chardin mm -hmm. in a book I think written by uh, Ewa Leiger Burchas I'm probably butchering her name right now uh, but uh, and she really wrote about the way that Chardin was like a really unusual painter for his time because of the way that he built the picture really like from the material of paint without necessarily like you know sketching it out first and it, it was like so sometimes they're really thin but they have like kind of a crust and like mm -hmm. uh, his figures are really they have a kind of a, a strange materiality compared to 
yeah, like slicker paintings, like Delatour. Yeah, I think actually Chardin was really noted for his use of ground, like ground showing through. Right. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's the problem, not the problem, but the thing about the Delatour painting is when we talk about materiality or making, it's more about how everything becomes this glowing surface, right? right. So like, and everyone, well, he's very well known for the use of candles, mm-hmm. candles hidden by a hand usually, so the hand right. glows. And like, actually only in one of the paintings I talk about do we see that, but it, what it does, what that obsession does to the whole painting makes the whole painting into a body, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like everything becomes about this interaction between a body and a candle, like the shadows, like reflections, outliney things that happen, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So I think that's maybe where they become more exciting from a, from a feminist or materialist perspective is that you do see this like, bodily materiality within right. like an academic painting of people around a table yeah yeah so another another thing that um was really interesting i think about the text in the context of the magazine was that it um like you talk about the gift and uh you refer to that book um, oh by lewis hyde by lewis hyde right um which i like actually read while making the magazine oh. because it came up um, for the interview that I did with M. Rooney uh, for the magazine mm-hmm. because in her work she uh, had made these editions of sculptures as gifts and so she was uh, so there was also this, this, this discourse around around gifts in her work and so then that also totally by co- sheer coincidence also was present in your in your text mm. so maybe do you want to like maybe elaborate a bit on that part of the text yeah you can try um so there's like there's a part of the text that's very much like economic analysis me doing my best as a at the very best an amateur critic to economically analyze these images of women gambling so mm-hmm. women who are playing games of chance mm-hmm. and there's money on the table and somebody maybe is getting cheated usually someone's getting cheated right. in these pictures um and i mentioned the gift i think it, it gets a bit complicated but it has to do with um value monetary value of of especially of jewels mm-hmm. like in in the first painting by De La Tour, there's an amazing presence of jewelry on mm-hmm. the female figure. She's like a costumed, very beautiful, pearl-wearing, perhaps courtesan. And in the scene that I, t- I write about from uh, George Eliot, the whole gambling mechanism um, centers on a woman pawning her jewels mm-hmm. to for the money to gamble with. Right. And the jewels themselves, like being an heirloom and I use the term pre-modern woman throughout the essay in a very loose way, but it's a, it, what I'm talking about is being denied access to the financial sphere. Therefore, the things that are gifted to you, i.e. your jewelry from your from your parents, mm-hmm. um, is is what you have. That's what you have to gamble with. You don't really have anything else a- apart from your body. Um, and these two things becoming kind of intertwined, like heirlooms such as jewels being transmitted by a marriage, but women's women also selling their bodies, their reproductive mm-hmm. capacity via marriage too. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of all the stuff I was sort of tangling with, I would right. say. Um, I don't know if I really resolved it, but 
perhaps it's also like what's nice about a gambling scene is that you see a transaction, you see like a game, you see like things being transferred from one person to the next, like right. the card or the turn or the money um, or people looking at each other. And it's a nice, it's like a really wonderful visual way to think about how transactions are made, how mm -hmm. value changes, how like how the jewels around my neck were gifted to me by my, by my father, but then I, I decide to pawn them, but then I can't pawn them because someone's seen me pawn them and that's not right, so they get given back to me. And all of this stuff, these transformations, um, I think that's, I find that endlessly fascinating. And those are within the paintings, I guess, within the text, right. but also within our, our, our contemporary society in terms of working with money, in yeah. terms of the favor economy, in terms of, I mean, there's so much stuff that's to do with gift, with things that cannot be monetarily valued or passed on. But I guess what's even worse is that slipperiness, like how they can mm -hmm. kind of come back to poison you. Right. You I mean, try and sell whole... a gift, for example, right? Yeah. yeah. It, it's the whole sort of dabble and entangled kind of meaning that it brings to, to the table that's really interesting. Um, like, yeah, like you said, like her, like, pounding the her heirlooms and repurchasing, and, you know, like people nowadays, like, reselling <laughs> their... Christmas gifts today yeah, after Christmas or absolutely uh, I mean what are gifts today I mean like I think like inheritance is something we still talk about a lot or should talk about more should talk about more you know yeah. like I don't know do people still have children as a means of controlling their family property perhaps I don't know I mean these are like there's this very weird stuff that is unspoken within our culture Right. About like what you owe to people before you or the people after you. Like, right. are you, your body is a form of debt, for yeah. example, which is I mean, the, very the, crazy. The, the book of Lewis White, of Lewis Hyde, like really, really, he gets really in depth into a lot of these questions, probably like way better than whatever I can remember from having read it last year um, already. But it's true that it's just like the gift is definitely like something that exists in like, you know, I assume like most cultures, but the relationship that each culture has to it is really different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's through that in like our Western cultures, um, it has for the most part, like a pretty, yeah, a pretty superficial and often unspoken um, nature or place, right? Absolutely. And especially like you say, in the form of inheritance where you know, we keep getting told that we live in this, like, meritocratic uh, system. Mm -hmm. But, like, the fact that the biggest, like, monetary gift you'll get in your life is the inheritance. And that's, like, the biggest source of inequity. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yeah, a totally unspoken, unspoken thing yeah, for absolutely. the most part. I mean... Especially in the art world, right? Yeah, especially in the art world. Yeah. Um, especially in, yeah, and who gets the... the privilege to have the most time and money to make pictures mm -hmm. let's say in, in the case of painting or absolutely but I mean it's, it's absolutely a feminist issue too I mean I have female peers who would still say to me in terms of like the decision whether or not to have a child mm -hmm. oh that's what your body's for that's what you're supposed that's what the, your body's supposed to do mm -hmm. and if you c carry that to its logical conclusion it's like I'm you're born already in debt. You're born as a mortgage to the future. Like, mm -hmm. 
your life is not your own, but what you may provide for the life after yours. And that is actually an insane thought mm-hmm. when you really think about it. Yeah, it but it's a, it's a very accepted really part is. of our culture, you know? And um, yeah, I think, yeah, for sure, the gift can be examined in very broad and like very specific ways through as a critique of our, our late capitalist society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, like that's another, another thing I guess about, um, about the text is that it, it speaks to, I mean, I forgot exactly where the sentence is, but yeah, it's like you talk about the pre-modern woman and about this time, like where in the Western world, like before women had like equal, Equal uh, access to capital, I guess. Exactly. Um, yeah. Equal access to the financial sphere. So, sphere. Right. I mean, so work, property, inheritance, speculation. Yeah. Um, which, you know, a lot of that is like still actually unraveling and, and not acquired and, and really uh, complicated. Um, but so like, that's the other tricky part for me is, is thinking through that. Um, in terms of like a feminist critique and a more like perhaps like more Marxist critique, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, totally. Where like these women gambling, of course, like that are depicted in the De La Tour, like they're still uh I assume like, you know, if they're depicted in these paintings, like they're also still probably they come from wealthy families. They mm-hmm. so and in thinking about uh a lot of like ideas around empowerment sometime mm-hmm. in fem- like in feminism is uh is the tricky thing to think about those those ideas like in a capitalist society where if you say there should be equality and then you're like well should it be under the same you know shitty capitalist terms that are already in place or mm-hmm. do you also stand for like a you know when you when you advocate for these things like do you also stand for a reform of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of that, so that the, the the equality you're striving for is not just one that reproduces the like patriarchal model that's already mm-hmm. in place and the capitalist model that's already in place, but an equality that shapes this in new ways. Absolutely. I mean, sorry, that was a bit of a lengthy. No, trip. but it's true. I mean, all the figures we're looking at in these paintings are certainly white middle class women. Right. Um, and I guess maybe the interesting question is like, how do we? subvert that figure mm-hmm. like how not just look at her, not just think of I mean there's a lot to think about her already but how can we use that beyond the, beyond a critique of class as it is right now how can we enter into the, her as she is mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how to say this but like perhaps there's like an interesting way that yeah we can gamble <laughs> i don't i don't know exactly it's um it's it's an interesting question i would say um how do we how do we re- how do we rethink class beyond th- this very limited representation right i mean yeah gambling would i almost feel like in a way like the the text also like i mean you, you use these um uh, visuals like for both literary and painterly of gambling but in a way, they remain more like the support structure mm-hmm. that kind of carries us through mm-hmm. the the text and through your thinking. Uh, yeah. But it's almost like 
thinking of it now, I'm almost like, well, there could almost be like a second part of this text that really speaks about like gambling itself. Because just like, you know, the notion of the gift, actually, mm -hmm. gambling, when you also think about it in broader terms, is like a pretty fascinating kind of... Um, thing to think about in terms, of, in terms of class because in those contexts of course they're like you know they're more historical and, and mm -hmm. um, but yeah like if you think about it today it's like uh, I, I don't have the statistics or whatever but like you often hear like yeah most of the people who will play the lottery you know it's because like they work a job that's not paying them enough indeed or, taxing the poor yeah 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 but then we have Robin Hood right we have right. all these kids on Wall Street like yeah there's the making money the Reddit thing <laughs> with, with fake 18 year old IDs you know um, yeah, I mean, financial speculation, I mean, gambling is financial speculation. Right. So, like, I mean, a card game is Wall, Wall Street to an extent. You know, it's, it's the same mechanism. And that, like, has done a lot to our lives. Like, I left, when I left art college, I left art college into the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. I remember it so clearly. Mm -hmm. And I remember that moment, my expectations for what my life could be right. just narrowed so drastically. They were already quite narrow. And there's something about that moment that has, has shaped me as a person. Do you feel like this is something we're experiencing again now? It's the second one, yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, even yeah. different. I mean, so like I started art school. I started my BFA, I think, a few years after the mm -hmm. crisis, or so like in 2010 or 11. Mm -hmm. um, but definitely, so like right now feels like yeah everything's shrinking and possibilities are shrinking in in some regards absolutely others are you know in other ways you it forces you to make do and just find ways to to keep going with things but yeah yeah i mean i think for that reason what i find so interesting about my my peer group right for want of a better term or generation you could say is that we have had to grapple with this we at one time now the second time um and whatever you, whatever parameters when you put on that what age of the group that is mm -hmm. you can just decide but i feel like there is a, a a feeling within this group i i feel it um a feeling for materiality for like a rawness that expresses what our lives are really like for right. like for the struggle for for showing that for for texture and not for i mean i don't want to talk too broadly about other generations of artists but not not about i would say we're we <laughs> One is <laughs> um, not about gestures and games right. and about not being there. I would say one is about being absolutely there. Mm -hmm. And so that's maybe why like materiality... I like the way you're expressing that because it's, it's a great way to not use notions like authenticity and yeah. which I, I don't think are very productive oh indeed no uh, no no words to use when no. talking about art but i but this sort of like yeah that's another conversation in fact yeah. yeah but i think it's, it's about a good, no, it's a good um, yeah, yeah. I think about being real i would say i mean that's the easiest way to say it um about not pretending right um um i mean for me it's a, it is about expression like i think expression is really important um, but that's why, like, the struggle, like, mm -hmm. is, is important. And whether 
you know, you're narrating the struggle or whether the struggle is within what you're doing mm-hmm. formally, right. you know, I think this is all part well, of the I same conversation. I mean, yeah. I mean, right, like, that's why uh, also, like, I mean, talking about pictures and picture making and painting mm-hmm. uh, here, I think that's also what keeps all these forms of picture making relevant throughout the years is that just like a text, you know, like what you wrote, like, it becomes like the structure or the support system that carries all this information in it mm. uh, forward. Absolutely. You know, in terms of like, yeah. I know, I mean, I started making like quite small work when I moved to New York to study because, you know, my life was that small. So I mm. wanted, it's not even like I wanted, it's like I had to do that. And then I thought, oh, well, there's something interesting about the fact that the work I'm making at this scale will reflect the fact that my life was at this scale at this mm-hmm. point in time. And that's always something that's really interesting to to look at in, in the production of art throughout the, throughout the years. And mm-hmm. especially, I think, in, it's something like, I, I think as a form or as a format, like paintings and pictures are just a really, they're really good at that. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're better because they're like, I often think about them as like, yeah, they are like vessels mm-hmm. um, in yeah. some ways. and They're an archive as well. Yeah. They're a picture of the historical moment. But yeah, I think for all these reasons, like thinking about bodily materiality, right. y- using tools of Marxist and feminist critique um, is super important right now and uh, however way you want to look at them however way you want to renew or trouble or critique them I think mm-hmm. those tools are really um, are what we need mm-hmm. um, and in order yeah in order to talk about what's happening now right. and yeah no I think and that's exactly what you do like in this essay is like like take these tools and and really use them like to talk about about painting um in this literary way which i really appreciate so i think like that's what really like got me really interested in working with you like on publishing this text in the magazine oh too well i'm I'm glad you saw it in the text (laughs) emil Uh, thank you you're listening to the Radio Lemon Five.